Welcome to Wasa Community Church. We're continuing through the book of Jude, and we are in verse 11, and we're actually just going to look at verse 11. So just one verse today. So let's do that. Jude, verse 11. And it says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. Lord, I come before you and I want to pray for this message in the name of Jesus, that you would use it in the hearts of each one this morning or, or whenever it's watched in the name of Jesus. Be at work in me as well. Speak through me what you want to be, what you want to have spoken. Um, if I do say anything wrong, Lord, I just pray that I would not be believed in the name of Jesus. If I say anything untrue, let it not be believed in the name of Jesus. But let your truth be remembered, Lord. Let your truth be believed in the name of Jesus. So thank you again, Lord. You are wonderful. Thank you so much for your word. Um, without it, we would be so lost. And uh, I just pray for all of us that you would be working on our hearts and giving us understanding of your word in the name of Jesus. Be with those who are watching in the name of Jesus. Be with me as I speak in the name of Jesus and be glorified in this time in the name of Jesus. Help us to glorify and look to you in awe and wonder and praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Although this time away from church has not been in and of itself a positive thing, one thing that I've found to be a good thing is the surge of people using the platform of YouTube.com. For me, it's been cool to be able to watch my friends preach and some pastors that I've known and to see some old churches that I've been to and how the preaching is there. I recently watched a sermon by one of my old professors, Mr. Armstrong, and he mentioned something interesting. He said, God's love language is obedience. God's love language is obedience. You know the love languages? You, you might have heard of them. I always say, well, they're not an exact science because they're not. They're not an exact science. Uh, but they can be quite helpful. One person feels more loved by someone spending quality time with them than they do if, if say, they receive gifts from them. Others, it's acts of service. Others, physical touch, like hugs, for example. Others, words of affirmation. And so finding out the ones that make you feel more loved and finding ones that help your loved ones feel more loved can be helpful. Now, of course, there's more to it than just that, right? For instance, gifts is one of Christina's, uh, which it's not, it's not one of mine at all. <laughs> Um, I never think about gifts, and uh, so I'm, I'm growing in that area. I'm growing in that area. <laughs> but for her, you can't just get any gift, right? Like, if I got her a stuffed animal, like a teddy bear, not a, not a taxidermy thing, like a teddy bear, for instance, she would be like, do you even know me? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's not the wisest thing to get her a teddy bear from my point of view, because in getting to know her, I've gotten to know that she's not as fond of stuffed animals. But if I got her flowers, she would feel genuinely loved. 
right? She loves flowers. And so with us as humans, there are many variations of the love languages that help us feel loved and to help us show love to others. God's love language is obedience. You can say you love him, you can praise and worship him, you can make sacrifice, but if you don't obey him, then none of that matters. I love you, God. I love you, God, but hey, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Do you even know me? Do you even know me? We show we love God by obeying him. If we don't obey, that shows them the opposite. Jesus clearly says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love Jesus? Then keep his commandments. Jude has been talking about those who have crept into the church unnoticed, those who maybe say they're in Christ, maybe even act like they're in Christ, but truly they deny Christ. They are the, the wolves in sheep's clothing, the ones that pose like they are shepherds. They may teach truth, but that's the thing about false teachers. Even Satan gives half-truths, right? Even Satan gave a half-truth when he deceived Eve in the garden. They're going to try and be convincing. They want you to believe them. And in that, they deceive. Did they love Jesus? The scary thing is many might think that they do. Many convince themselves. But no, they, they don't. They do not obey his commands. What are the most important commands of all of Scripture? Let's see what Jesus says. A lawyer asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these Two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. The commands of the Lord all find their fulfillment in these. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Because if you love God, you're going to obey him. You're going to obey his word. And if you love your neighbor, if you love others, then you are obeying God as well and showing love toward God. But these wolves, these wolves, Jude likens them to Cain, to Balaam, and to Korah, those who disobeyed God's commands. Woe to them, he says. A declaration of sadness. They will be sad. They will have anguish. Things will not go well for them. Why? Number one, because they walked in the way of Cain. So let's look at Cain. And I really like here how God is good to him. He really is. Because Cain, sorry, Cain gives him an offering 
That just doesn't cut it. And he says, he says, Cain, the Lord says to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And the meaning here drawn out a little more in the NASB is, will not your countenance be lifted up? If you do well, will not your face be lifted up? I want what's good for you. If you do well, if you obey me, you will find joy. You will find more joy than in not giving me your best cane. And that's an important thing to know because for us, there is greater joy in following Christ than there is in indulging in sin. And you might not think that, but, but it's true. Sinful pleasures are fleeting. They're, they're temporary and they're empty. But taking pleasure in the things of God, that brings true joy. And that brings lasting joy. So I love seeing what God's doing here because it shows he wants to help Cain. It shows loving correction. And then comes a warning. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you. Sin makes you want it, but God says it's contrary to you. It's not your friend. It's a deceiver. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. He's caring in his correction. He doesn't want Cain to be deceived like his parents were, to put themselves under the authority of sin rather than the authority of God. Cain, you must rule over it. You must. But God seems to love your brother more, Cain. Why should you listen to him? He accepts your brother's offering, but not yours. God's on his side. Your brother has shamed you. Well, the things we tell ourselves when we invite sin to be our authority. Love your neighbor as yourself. Cain says, I choose self. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Cain says, I will not. I will not obey. Which is to say, I will not Love you, Lord. And so those who walk in the way of Cain are those who let sin rule over them, who put themselves on the highest pedestal, who, who disobey God because Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. Murder, hatred, unrighteous anger. He took a life. He was so self-absorbed that he valued his life as so important, even less than his life. That he disregarded the life of his brother completely. Completely. Abel is dead. And the wolves... Oh, the wolves, they, they care about their pleasures. They care about their money, as we will see. They care about themselves. Meanwhile, they lead people to hell. They are deniers of Christ, and they lead others to deny Christ. Maybe not outright, but in action. 
They move people to be disobedient to what God really commands in his words. For they love their own gain. They love themselves. They do it for their own gain. They say, I choose self. I will not obey. I will not love you, Lord. And even if they don't outright say it, God knows the motives of their heart. And they disregard the lives of others. Okay, now let's talk about money. Paul tells Timothy, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation, fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some of you have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Of course, almost everyone's heard the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Either that or money is the root of all evil. <laughs> but of course, money itself isn't bad. So, so looking at the text of Scripture, we see it's the love of money that's the bad thing. And it's so true. People do things for money that they would not normally do. Perhaps that they would never do. But when they're offered money, it's like, okay, well, if I do it, then this money is mine. Then I'll have this money. And suddenly it doesn't look so bad. But this is how some of the darkest, most horrific things in the world operate. Because people love money. And some love it so much that they don't care about crossing lines on the route to such depravity, such evil. People have murdered their own parents for money. People have murdered their own spouses. And compared to some things, that's tame. And when those horrific acts are considered tame, you know that this world is so utterly, utterly wicked. For what? Money. The love of money is a root from which the uttermost deplorable and appalling things grow. And as it is mentioned, the craving of money has caused people to walk away from the faith. You cannot serve both God and money. And for them, their love for money outweighs their love for God, and they find it more worthwhile to pursue the master of money. It is common that the craving of money is a big influence on the wolf, on the false teacher. People like hearing this. If I teach this, I might be able to get more money. They abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error. What did Balaam do? This, this is the guy that had his donkey talk sense into him. But a king named Balak, he was the king of Moab, a nation that worshipped the false god Baal, wanted Balaam to curse Israel for him because he was afraid of them. And Balaam had a reputation where it was seen that everyone he blessed ended up being blessed. And everyone he cursed 
ended up being cursed. Elders of Moab came to Balaam to ask him to curse, in, to curse Israel, and he refused because God told him to refuse. Now, Balaam's not a good guy, right? He's a diviner. He practices divination, which is sinful, right? It's something God hates. It's seeking hidden knowledge through evil means, which uh, a modern-day example would be something like palm readings or tarot cards, right? Stay away from those things. Um, so Balaam wasn't great, though his response when these men returned to him, now offering him whatever he wants, at first is a good response. Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord my God to do less or more. So that looks good. But then... He goes back to God, seemingly just to make sure he can't get in on those riches. So you too, please stay here tonight, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them. But only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. Now, a question comes up, right? The question that comes up here is why is God angry when it's something he told Balaam to do? So one thought here is that the best translation of the Hebrew isn't how I have it here, actually, where it says, if the men have come to call you. But instead, the better translation would be, if the men come to call you, which is something that we see in the King James and the New King James versions, changing the past tense to the future tense, meaning if before they leave, they ask Balaam another time to go with them. Then, and only then, is God in favor of him going. But we don't see them ask him again. He just goes and joins them in the morning. In that case, it seems like maybe he just, in his desire for riches, tunes out part of what God says. And just hears the, go with them, but only do what I tell you part. And in his heart says, oh yes, good, good, I'm glad. Without taking the conditions into account. In that case, it would make sense why the Lord was angry at Balaam for going. The thing is, for me, that I, again, don't know Hebrew, and I'm not an expert on, on which tense the words are in, whether they are in the past tense or the future, and, and legitimate scholars have translated this English Standard Version, which is a good version, as past tense. So, they would have had some good reason to do that. Plus, what I've seen, though again, I'm no expert, but what I've seen is that it makes, what I've seen makes it seem like it's in the past tense. Like it is in the past tense. Like it's supposed to say, if the men have come to call you. So another thought is that it could also be giving, or be a giving over 
to sinful passions because God can totally see the heart. And, and he sees that this, this diviner has his heart set on those riches. And we know that those who crave sinful things and worship creature rather than creator, God gives over to their sinful passions. God then would possibly be saying, well, just go do it then in, in, a, in a see what happens sort of way. But then that kind of seems inconsistent with the only do what I tell you part. Um, so there's not a 100% conclusion for this uh, question based off what the text in Numbers itself gives us. And of course, the Bible doesn't tell us everything, right? <laughs> it tells us what we need. So even if we can't pinpoint these details, we still know, hey, Balaam is doing something wrong and God is not happy about it. And though Balaam initially refused the riches, he now seems to be in a place where he is being overtaken by that crouching sin, where he's trying to find a way to still, you know, somehow get them. So he's traveling on his donkey, and the donkey sees an angel with a sword drawn. Sword drawn, right? And so the donkey runs off the road. Balaam, who can't see the angel, gets the donkey back on the road with a strike. Again, the angel is seen only by the donkey, this time at a place on the road where there is a wall on either side. So unable to get right off the road, it pressed against the wall, pressing Balaam's foot against it, which would have hurt. And Balaam strikes it again, strikes the donkey again. The next time that the donkey sees the angel, it, it, just, it just stops. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me this three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And I don't know if Balaam had seen a talking animal before or something. Maybe in his divining ways there was a thin line between dreams and reality. But it doesn't seem to faze him that this donkey is literally speaking his language. <laughs> and the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. This is your loyal donkey who has been around your whole life. And in our day, uh, not sure about back then, but today it is possible for a donkey to live 50 years. But I think this is, <laughs> I think this is so funny. It's like a wake-up call. Wake up, Balaam. This is not a normal time. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in a drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down on his face and fell. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you, because your way is perverse before me. Your way is perverse before me. So yes, Balaam is in the wrong here, like we said. The donkey saw me and turned aside. 
before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. So the donkey, the, the loyal donkey, she ended up saving his life. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. So again, that's a little interesting, right? God still wants him to go. He's not happy with Balaam, but he still wants him to go. And when he's supposed to curse, when he gets there, when he's supposed to curse the Israelites, he does instead bless. The Lord causes his words to be a blessing on Israel rather than a cursing, right? But of course, that's not what Balak wants. He wants Israel to be cursed. And actually, there are curses that Balaam utters, but they're against other nations, not Israel. And Moab itself is cursed. So of course, Balak, the king, is not happy. And he refuses to honor Balaam. He refuses to reward him, which makes sense, right? He didn't exactly do the job as described. And you initially think, oh good, the story of Balaam turned out good after all. But those riches, right, Balaam? You can't go without those riches. Sin is crouching at the door. And I mean, it's already there, right? Balaam practices divination. He's actually not a false prophet, but he is a wicked prophet. He gets his information through occult means, as we mentioned, right? But here, he's tempted by even more than knowledge. He's tempted by honor and riches, and they seem so good, and they seem so close. And the next thing you know in Numbers, Israel is not doing well. Israel, who was blessed and not cursed, but, but, but they're not doing well. They greatly sin against God, provoking his wrath. The Bible tells us, while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to sacrifices of their, God, of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, the false god that the Moabites worshipped. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, Each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal. Peor. And behold, one of the people of Israel came and brought a, brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel while they were weeping in the entrance of the tent of meeting. When Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the high priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a spear in his hand and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, 
those who died by the plague, were 24,000. It's a gruesome story. Israel falls into sexual immorality and idolatry. They worship false gods by Moabite influence. And there's a lot of them, right? And there is punishment. 24,000 people die. In 2019, Cranbrook reached 21,000 people. Imagine Cranbrook just, just gone. That's almost the same amount as are lost here. And while, yes, it is at the hands of God, who led them astray? Who is responsible for leading God's people away from him? Our suspicions can be confirmed in the book of Revelation. These are the words of Jesus, who, as God, would have seen all of this unfold back in the day. These are his words to the church of Pergamum. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Balaam taught Balak to do this. Balaam! And it resulted in 24,000 deaths! Balaam! Balaam! And we assume that he did this so he could get paid because he was refused earlier. There are those who lead people astray for riches who have crept in the church, who preach what is wrong so they can rake in the extra money from more people. In the process, they're leading people to hell. Their quest to gain riches results in, in eternal collateral damage to those they infect with their lie who never end up cured of that infection. It's not just this life that they affect. They affect the next. They affect eternity. The Lord says, do not come against my people. Do not curse them. But for the love of money, they creep into the church and they make those people accursed. They disobey. They choose money. The third example Jude gives us in this verse about the wolves in sheep's clothing is that they perished in Korah's rebellion. Earlier in his letter, you might remember that Jude mentioned that the wolves rejected authority. And that's also Korah's problem. So, still in the book of Numbers, we find Korah with some men and 250 others coming against, coming against Moses, against the one whom God had given authority. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, Moses' brother, who was the high priest, and said to them, You have gone too far. For all in the congregation are holy. 
All in the congregation are holy, every one of them. And the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? When Moses heard it, he fell on his face, and he said to Korah and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy, and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses, he will bring near to him. Do this. Take censers, Korah and all his company, put fire in them, and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. And Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi. Is it too small a thing for you that the Lord God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister to them. And that he has brought you near to him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Therefore, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? So the reason for Korah's rebellion is that he's not happy with his role. He's a Levite, which is uh, the tribe of Israel who can become priests, but Korah's role is not a priestly role. Right? He's not satisfied with his own role, which as a son of Kohath would be this. And their guard duty involved the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altars, the vessels of the sanctuary with which the priests minister, and the screen, all the service connected with these. But Korah wanted the priesthood itself, and him and the men with him come against the authority that God has put in place, which is Moses. And so they reject God's authority. Moses says, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. And so is the, there is this almost challenge that is put in place where the Lord will show his choice for who is to be, as they say, the Holy One. So the next day, every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and, Aaron, to Moses and Aaron, saying, Separate yourselves from among this congregation, that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O oh God, the God of spirits of all, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the congregation, Get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So God is not happy. He's not happy with them at all. He wants to, as he says, consume them. Moses later says, So that all the elders of Israel can hear him. Hereby you shall know 
that the Lord has sent me to do all these works and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all, so they and all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly, and all Israel who were around them fled at their cry, for they said, Lest the earth swallow us up. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. It is proved miraculously before their eyes that Moses is God's choice. And Korah and those who are with him are punished. And if we read on, furthermore, people grumble about it. They grumble about his death as if it was wrong. They come against Moses and Aaron's authority as if they'd learned nothing. And again, like in Moab, there's a big plague, and this time 14,700 die. Another massive number of casualties. Korah did not obey the Lord. He did not accept the things of God. He thought he knew better. I should be priest. I should be leader. And just look at the destruction that came as a result. But again, for the wolves, it's not just the followers who get it. It's the wolf too. Korah dies. Right? Korah dies. In the book of Joshua, we see too that Balaam is killed. Cain becomes a fugitive, a wanderer, which actually is extremely gracious of God not to just kill Cain. He even puts a mark on him so that others won't kill him. But there's such a link of selfishness in these three. A link that that's common among wolves who creep into the church. One that says, I choose my life over theirs, which is the opposite of the gospel. I love money over God, and by that people are led astray. I know what's best. God, I know better than you. The wolf would say, this, this Bible, I know better than it. They would say, I'm going to teach my way, despite what you say in this word, God. That stance is evil. It's from the devil. The deceiver who deceives people into becoming deceivers themselves. They disobey God and lead others to disobey as well. They walk in the way of Cain, making the flock suffer. They abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error, elevating the love of money above the love of God and others. And they perish in Korah's rebellion, dragging souls down with them. This is disheartening. This is so disheartening. But it's nothing new to the church. There were false teachers back in Jude's time, right? That's why he's writing this during the time of the early church. There were false teachers back then, just like there are today. 
Ever since Adam's sin, sin has been in every heart of every person, and it's caused this world to walk in the ways of selfishness ever since. There will always be disobedient teachers as long as there are disobedient people. So choose obedience. Choose obedience. I like how Joshua put it. Choose this day whom you will serve. Are you going to serve God? Or are you going to serve self? Every day we make decisions like that. You're more important than them. Don't believe it. Don't believe what Cain did. Money is what you need most. Don't believe it. Don't believe what Balaam did. You know better than God. Don't believe it. Don't believe what Korah did. You're better than no one. Christ is what you need most. And God knows what's best for you, even if that conflicts with what you think is best. Trust him. Trust him. When we obey God, we say, I trust that you know what's best. If you're showing me and someone else that I need to work on things, then I will work on those things rather than sit around in jealousy. I trust that I have everything I need in you, so I do not need to seek out money at all costs. I will obey you even when my flesh is saying don't, because Lord, I love you. I love you more than myself. If you say you love him, but you don't obey him, you're lying. To yourself, maybe. To God, certainly. To others, certainly, as well. And that's where the false teachers are caught. They don't obey his word. They don't listen. Now, if you're a believer, if you've repented of your sin and placed your faith in Jesus and what he did for you on the cross and in his resurrection, if you've committed your life to Jesus as Lord in that way, then yes, yes, you are allowed into heaven after you die. You're saved from hell. And you're also a new creation. But even though that's the case, you still have sinful flesh on you, right? And you stumble and you sin. You fall into moments of disobedience. You're forgiven, okay? You're forgiven. Yes, you acknowledge those times of disobedience. You acknowledge that. You try by the power of God to cut that out, to cut sinning out of your life. But you're forgiven. You're still striving for obedience, right? So don't be worried about going to hell. Don't be worried about that. If your faith is truly in Jesus, you're safe from that. Now, maybe there are consequences for sinning. There aren't always, but sometimes there are. But you won't be going to hell. You're safe from that, which is an amazing truth. It's an amazing truth. Praise God for that. Yeah, absolutely. Praise God for your salvation. Praise God. Keep loving the word of God. Keep listening to it. Keep obeying his commands, even if you mess up. You are the one who knows his word is to be followed. And you choose to follow it. So take heart because you are secure in Christ. People in churches are not all like that. Churches have people who are deliberately disobedient to God. 
who say they love God, but show the opposite, who look at the clear commands in the New Testament for all Gentile Christians to follow and say, that doesn't apply to me. I don't have to obey this. I'm going to live my own way. I can hate whoever I want. God says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. I can do whatever I want for money, even if it goes against the Bible. God says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I don't have to respect authority. What does God know? God says, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. That's the word of God through both Matthew and John. If we obey God's word, God's commands, it shows that we love him. And if we don't, like Cain, like Balaam, like Korah, it shows that we're false. Bow with me in prayer. Lord, help us not to be false. Oh, Lord. We need you so much in, in every way. And thank you that you're with us. Thank you for changing our hearts when we've come to faith in you, to being hearts that want to pursue you, to obey your commands. And I know that our flesh fails and we fall into those times of disobedience. But Lord, I thank you that you've given us hearts, that you've given us a spirit, your Holy Spirit, to keep pushing us toward obedience. Keep us in that direction, in the name of Jesus. Keep us living for you, no matter what our flesh says, because there is so much temptation. But again, you provide, an, you provide a way of escape to all the temptations. And I thank you so much for that, God. You are a wonderful God. You are an amazing God. You've done so much for us. We know that you are just, that you do punish sin. But Lord, to know that you're the one who came down and took that punishment on the cross yourself for us and rose again and made a way that if we but have faith in you, that we don't have to receive that punishment, that we can have eternal life. Lord, that is amazing love. You love us. Help us to show that we love you. Help us to always be obedient to your calling, to your word. Help us, Jesus. We need your help. We need you always, God. Help us not to be deceived. In the name of Jesus. And for those who we see might be deceived, 
Help us to, in love, correct them. We see your heart for Cain. We do. We see how you lovingly correct him. We see how you say, it is better in Christ. It is, there's more joy in doing well for the Lord. Help us to realize that as well, Jesus. And help us to pursue those joys, those pleasures that are in you, rather than the pleasures that are fleeting in the world, like money. Oh, I get to be rich. We are already rich. We have more riches than anything in this world can pay for. We have Jesus. We have you, Jesus. Help us to realize that. Help us to realize that that's more valuable than anything this world can give us. Help us not to be deceived in the name of Jesus. Lord, you are the truth. Your word is truth. Help us to obey your word, Jesus, knowing that in following you, there's, there's pleasures forevermore instead of just the fleeting pleasures. And honestly, help our hearts to be doing it for you, Lord, as well, and not for ourselves. Oh, I get pleasures in Jesus. <laughs> Lord, help us to do it for you, Jesus. Help us to love you with all our souls and minds and hearts. And help us to love our neighbors as well as ourselves. Wonderful you are, Jesus. And I pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.